this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Practice Learning Teams podcast show. During the months of December and January, we will move into our holiday schedule of podcasts, moving from weekly to every second week. On today's podcast, I am joined by a construction safety advisor, Eliza Lynch. I find Eliza courageous, thought-provoking, and telling it like it is and how it should be. The theme of today's pod it's all about the shite and success of safety. Please sit back and enjoy this conversation with Eliza Lynch. Well, hey, look, uh, welcome. And, and finally, it's great to have you on the podcast. And, and obviously, I've seen you're very active on LinkedIn. And, <laughs> um, and uh, all for the right reasons, of course. And uh, of course, the other component is that um, uh, you're still uh, involved with the Australian club, as I would call it, up there in, in Queensland about what's happening and the whole sort of the view of safety differently. So why don't you share with us a bit of your journey? Okay, um, well look, yeah, th- thanks for having me on. Um, I, my journey with, with safety differently. Um, yeah, look, I suppose, look, I, I'm working in, in health and safety since about, um, say 2014. Um, and I started when I was I was living I was living in Australia for about nine years. So I started in safety over there. Um, I had been working in traffic management and kind of went as far as I could go with that. And then, like a lot of people I I know had made the similar move, they hopped across over to safety. So um, yeah, I started out in construction. I'm still in construction. Bar six months where I worked in pharma for a while when I moved back home. All of my experiences construction related so I suppose everything I talk about it is through that lens um, and yeah I am um, I, I, was I wasn't in safety long when I started to read up on some bits and pieces about safety differently um, I was reading a lot of Dr. Rob Long's work um, and that I don't know if I found it a help or a hindrance at the start to be honest because I found it all very confusing because in work it was very much I suppose a traditional approach it was very compliance based it was very I'll try and mind my language here now but it was like screw the subby basically was the mm-hmm. I suppose the, the mode of operation with a lot of companies um, so yeah but then I was reading about this safety differently stuff and it just not, none of it was matching up for me um, so for a while, I actually really stayed away from it um, because I couldn't do anything. With, I felt like I couldn't do anything with it. Um, so yeah, I, I stayed away from the from the new view stuff for a long time, um, and it's probably only in the last probably two years since I moved back to Ireland that I've really started to, I suppose, dig into it a bit more. 
Right, and we, we, you know, I, I mean, I really love the construction industry because it's a true expression of what I'd term dynamic risk. Mm. Because, you know, every day people are facing the same hazards, but the situations that arise when those hazards can be present is constantly changing. And yeah. when, I, when I look at people who do really well in the construction space, it's because they've really honed those sort of problem solving skills or those critical thinking skills. Yet those things don't sit well with traditional rules-based environments, do they? No, they don't. Um, and I suppose like the construction industry, while like, yes, it's obviously male dominated, but it is quite diverse in um, the types of people, types of men, I suppose, who, who mostly work there and um, everything from like ethnic background, literacy background, education, skills, all that kind of stuff. It's so diverse. And this kind of one size fits all, one approach to how to manage that just is, is kind of bizarre, really, when you think about it. Well, how could you possibly think that this one way of doing something is the only way and that everyone must, I suppose, march to the beat of that drum, I guess? Yeah, yet, yet people every day are so successful at their work. Yeah. Despite you know the data that we read about you know the harm rates and, and and the fatality rates of the construction sector, the, the fact is people are super successful. If, if we think about how many hours they spend, the conditions they're working in, the types of changes they're dealing with, um, the, you know the environment that they're in, um, you know I, I take my hats off to, to them that they are really really successful. Yeah, I'd agree. They are, like they are. I mean, you just have to look around. It's everywhere you look. It's everywhere you look. Construction is touched. It's you know, and uh, yeah, it's always um, it's always interesting to to get out on sites and see the challenges that that people are facing and that they're just getting on with it. And you know, like you'd walk out, especially when when I started out first, it would be walk out on site and, and the safety manager would encourage you to actually take a physical copy of of the um, or what they call them and all the swims the safe work method statement take a copy of that now and go out and watch them do the work and you can see you know you can see how they and if they're doing it right and you'll be standing there reading this thing going sorry what like this yeah, doesn't something this no. doesn't reflect anything that's actually happening like at all at so all if, but in spite of it they're 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 getting on with it and getting things done yeah so so was is the system supporting them to be successful or are they successful in spite of the system? I would say in, in spite of it, probably. Um, now, look, I mean, it's not the same across the board. It obviously depends on the, the size of the company, the resources the company has. Like when I suppose when I started out first, I was in working for an ASX listed, like tier one blue chip, whatever you want to call it, a big, a big outfit. So. For the most part, they were well resourced. The equipment was good. You know, yes, programs were tight or whatever, but in, in general, they were well resourced. There was no shortage of labor or anything like that. Versus smaller contractors who would who would have a lot more challenges in that regard, in with you know type of equipment, labor, all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, I would say it's probably even more true for the smaller contractors 
that they are succeeding in spite of of the challenges. They're not exactly set up for success. It's it's get it done. Yeah, in spite of everything. Yeah, and the you know the construction industry is notorious for its um, you mentioned it before its whole contract chain relationships. Mm. You know, principals, contractors, subcontractors, sub subcontractors, and it just keeps going down the layers. Yeah. And you know the the system that the principal have and the systems that are five or six layers deep don't even resemble each other. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't. Yet, um, yet people are still successful. Yeah. Because it's like because the systems are not real things. <laughs> I guess they're not. Yeah. You know, they just are this 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 idea or this you know, file in a cloud or this binder of paper, whatever it is, it's not real. So that's why they're they're just getting on with things. Like those systems don't mean anything to the to the people on the ground. Yeah. From what I understand from my conversations with people on the ground, they don't care whether it's called a SWIMS, an SPA, a JSA, a JSEA, whatever. It's not informing their work, really. Right. And when they're having to um, engage with those systems, uh, if they can't see themselves in it, if it's not reflective of what they need to do, then does that mean it's simply just a tick and flick? Just a, you know, just acknowledge and move on or complete the paper because we have to? Because we is have it, to, yeah. It's, it's a tick and flick, it's a ritual. It's um, a comfort blanket, depending on, on who you are, who's looking at it, I guess. Um, and I think the the higher up the chain you go, it holds different meaning for different people. Right. That's how I would probably look at it. So the guys on the ground are probably like, whatever, I'm signing this because I'm being told to sign it, and this is to cover somebody else's arse. It's not really to help me do my job. Like, it's not, a, they're not, I'm conscious of God who's listening to this. This is very much my experience of it, but like a tradie on the ground isn't going to be like, ah, yes, I love my safety paperwork. It keeps me safe every day. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. Like it's just no. And then it's, yeah. and then you move up, you move up a layer, and it's like, oh, the safety advisor is like, oh, this is like a layer of work I have to do. And then you move up another layer and it's getting into like this, the supervisors, the management and, and CEOs, whoever. And, it's, and then it's that's when it becomes the comfort blanket because they believe that it is providing some sort of protection for them or for the workers or whatever. But there's definitely a lack of understanding of what its purpose actually is. Some of them yeah. actually do believe they're like, oh, yeah, this is safety. You're like, oh, God, it's not. But OK. Look, I... I, I... I probably believe that for the most part, the organisational's intent is coming from a good place. Yeah, I would agree. But how it's then being applied, how it's being used, is not being seen as valuable to those that are facing the risk. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, yeah, I, that's I, our I, challenge. Yeah. Now that, that, that's our, our, our challenge. Uh, and you know, we, we recently released that white paper about learning from everyday work, mm. and we sort of made the comment that that most of our systems that exist um, 
are asking people to assess or evaluate things, that it's based on workers giving permission to the system, not the system looking um, for the workers' permission, if that makes sense. It's sort of, I, I sometimes puzzled as to, as to why we've got it around the wrong way. Because only workers can decide whether they feel they are safe enough to commence work. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, fixate. Now we, we tell people, um, you know, stop work if you feel unsafe. Yeah, and I suppose it's then it's a thing of, geez, we could go right down a rabbit hole now. Like, it's what is safe yeah. and is it safe enough? And what is risk and taking risk? And you have, if you don't take a risk, you don't get any reward. And so, you know, this simplification of, oh, just stop work if it doesn't feel safe. But like, I could walk onto a site and see something and go, Jesus Christ, the state of that, this is a disaster. And they will, they'll have a completely different risk appetite to me. They'll look and go, no, Lisa, this is actually banned and this is how we usually do it. And you know, all this kind of jazz. And and there's a complete, there's, I suppose, a gap there to be bridged between what I feel is safe, what they feel is safe, what actually is safe, and it's all yeah. and it's it's a dynamic it's moving it's changing all the time that's another issue with this whole oh well we've assessed the risk it's like you've assessed it but did you mitigate it and you assessed it when back in the office versus out here where it's happening well and look i would probably guarantee that their appetite for that same risk would also change over time oh well, yeah yeah, definitely. Because, I would, yeah, I'd agree. Because there are so many factors, and, and I think this is part of our issue, um, that we, we keep trying to um, identify all the potential factors that influence people. And, and, and I know for very early on when I when I first met up with Todd, you know, one of our very early conversations, that if we actually went back to the basic principles of trying to control and mitigate how the hazard releases energy, we wouldn't have to worry about all the other side around people and their behaviours and and how they function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like even, I suppose, construction specifically, there are so many hazards and risks that you go, why was this shit not designed out way well, you know so far back in the process and we're dealing with stuff on at a site level that you go like <laughs> not tearing all architects engineers all of these people with the same brush but they don't have what they're, they're like end user in mind not the end like person building not the people on the ground how to build constructability and even not even constructability but like safety within constructability so they don't they don't look at that. They don't consider that. Um, I don't know my yeah. tangent now. But I, I agree. I, I, I'm working on one at the moment where, um, uh, in a construction space, where um, the sling gave way during a, a, a lifting process, and you know, you, you you'd think that someone's committed some form of you know capital crime that that stormed the Senate. And, and, and I, I asked a really innocent question. I basically said, um, did your lifting plan identify that 
the load could shift in it? And they said, uh, yes, we did. And I asked the question, well, what control was in place? And they said, we established an exclusion zone during the lifting process. And, and I asked the question, uh, was anyone present in that um, exclusion zone during the lifting plan? And they said, no. So I said, so we, we planned for the unexpected. The unexpected happened and the controls function as intended. So should we be, should we rather than looking as this is a form of um, a persecution, should we mm. not be celebrating that our controls function as expected? I actually had such a similar thing happen years ago. Like I wasn't long, I wasn't long in the job. And like that, we had a, it was a dropped object. So it wasn't lifting whatever, it was a dropped object and it fell into an exclusion zone. And I was delighted with myself. I was like, sure, isn't this great? Let's, the exclusion zone worked. And everyone looked at me like I had three three heads. Like, what are you right. talking about? This is a disaster. I was like, all right. All right. And that, I quickly learned then to, to not celebrate the success of control measures of exclusion zones because, well, it shouldn't have dropped in the first place. Oh, but it did though. So. But but, but isn't but this is why I keep going back to this is what I don't understand. We, we we put these things in place for the remaining amount of uncertainty. Mm. So so the control itself. I mean I love it. I mean once again you know I get told you know every person's every tool above a certain height needs to be tethered to stop it falling. Mm-hmm. And I ask the question so. Um, how is that tethering achieved? And, and it's basically a behavioural control. It's up to the individuals to do it. Yeah. And I said, how, how easy are the tethers over to access? All, all the usual type things that we ask. Um, and, I, and I said to him, well, but the problem is, you're still leaving a whole a lot of uncertainty present. So these nets you're putting up, is that not their job? Is their job simply to respond when the hazard um, occurs. Is that not its job? So why why are we scared of celebrating? Why, why are we scared of celebrating? This is the bit I don't understand. Because because safety is not meant to be any crack, Brent. We're not allowed to have fun. We're not allowed to celebrate. We're not. It's only bad stuff. That's all. That's all we're allowed to have. Which is which is interesting because when I think about risk management, risk management is based on threats and opportunities. But in safety, we treat everything as a threat. We don't look at it as an opportunity. No, no, we don't. No, but no, we're just. We're, it's just everything is fairly negative. To, it can wear you down after a while. To be honest, um, yeah, it is. It's, it no, look, I'm, 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 a hundred percent. I mean, you know, and and, and the sad thing is, uh, I, I would challenge people by saying that this negative context has basically meant that we're only prepared to learn after it goes wrong, not mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Like learning from success is not, um, it's, it's it's never the goal to, you have to really, I find like you really have to push people to be like, sure, this, this went well, let's look at that. Nope. It's like it went well, move on. 
keep blasting on just keep going build 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 instead of going can we stop and take a breather and look at what went well why it went well learn from success and it's not uh, it just doesn't come naturally to people sure yet, yet learning from failure will never allow us to see those frequencies or similarities or but also i don't parent. like sorry to cut across you but even i would even say learning from failure we probably aren't great at that either if we went down the whole you can blame or you can learn route you know we're probably fairly crap at that Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.